and program. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Is God judging America? That's the question for the hour. Or has God already judged America? And if so, why would he do that? Why would God judge America? If he has, or if he is going to. We want to look at that question here today on Viewpoint, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and today is absolutely no exception to that. The answer, perhaps, as to whether God is judging America is, what do you mean by judging? Well, when Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, what did he mean by that? Did he mean don't discern the difference between right and wrong? Did he mean don't deserve the, discern the difference between evil and good? Between righteousness and unrighteousness? No, he didn't mean that at all. What he meant was don't you condemn other people. We're required to discern. We're required to discern the difference between right and wrong, the difference between uh, justice and injustice, the difference between evil and righteousness, aren't we? We're required to do that, and especially as Christians. So the definition of judgment is actually a divine sentence or decision by God, usually revealed in some kind of calamity that's held to be sent by God. And that's why our insurance companies have in their policies, inevitably, a phrase that says that exculpates any acts of God. So anything that seems to be of the natural order, not caused directly by man, is deemed to be an act of God. Isn't that interesting? Now, when it comes to other aspects outside the insurance industry, Even our pastors are reluctant to call anything an act of God. It's quite amazing. We play games with ourselves in our minds, in our hearts, and we have our reasons for doing it, but we do play games. But when it comes to judgment, it's not a game-playing business. And we're going to see that here today on Viewpoint. So, A lot of the answer as to whether or not God is judging or would judge America, or anybody else for that matter, depends on your viewpoint concerning God's character. Is God's character benevolent or malevolent? Is God only love, or is he something else? Well, the answer is, he is both and. The God coin is composed of love on one side, love and mercy on one side of the coin, and justice and judgment on the other side of the coin. And without the two of them, neither side has validity. They are both andness. God is merciful, but he is also just. God is truth, but he's also love. We love the loving God, but we don't much like the truth God. 
And that's why most people reject the Old Testament. They think that the Old Testament reveals a God of judgment and a mean and malevolent God, whereas Jesus now is a very loving, kind, and uh, gentle uh, God who speaks with a lisp and a limp wrist, maybe. That's how we think of Jesus. Gentle Jesus, sweet and mild. But that isn't the Jesus portrayed in the in the New Testament. That's only part of the Jesus portrayed in the New Testament. If you went to Matthew chapter 23, you would find a very different Jesus. Oh, the one excoriating the religious leaders of his day on no uncertain terms, calling the whited sepulchres full of dead moans bones? Oh, it wasn't a pretty picture. He took them to the woodshed, big time. Now, when it came to others of lowly degree and uh, were being taken advantage of by the leaders of the day, whether they be religious or political or business or whatever it was, uh, he was quite gentle, quite mild and considerate of them. But he wasn't always that way. And the Bible tells us that even though God is love and Jesus is the express image of God, full of grace and truth, that there's coming a day that begins at the end of Revelation chapter 6 called the day of God's wrath. So here's a question. Could we, should we expect or even consider that God might judge a people, a nation, a congregation, a city, a people group, or maybe even a family? Would God judge any other group before his ultimate wrath is poured out on the children of disobedience, as the Apostle Paul wrote, and also the Apostle John there in Revelation chapter 6? That's what we want to explore here today on Viewpoint. And I'm glad that you've uh, joined with us because this is a very, very critical issue. A very critical issue indeed. So in, in a sense, it's going to be a study in contrast. A study in contrast. On the other hand, on the one hand, we find that God's mercies are new and fresh every morning. On the other hand, he says in the book of Isaiah, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Well, which is it? It's both and. It's both and. And to whom does God pour out his discipline or remedial judgment first? Would it be to those that we consider the worst offenders out there? The pagans? The unbelievers, the disbelievers? No. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that judgment begins first at the house of God. Oh, no. We didn't want to hear that, did we? Judgment begins first at the house of God. And if we look at the Old Testament, we find that that's exactly what happened. The house of God was Israel and Judah. And God began his judgment remedial judgments, his corrective discipline, 
He always began there with his warmest audience, those who professed his name, those who purported to be the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, heirs according to the promise. They were the ones he held most responsible, and because of that, God directed his specific corrective attention to them. You can read about it all through the Old Testament. That's why a lot of people don't want to read the Old Testament, because they don't want to see the real God. They want to create a God in their own image, the way they want God to be. Gentle Jesus, sweet and mild, with a little halo on his head that always speaks with a limp wrist and a lisp. It doesn't work that way, friends. Today, we're going to study, in contrast, a whole series of things. That's going to be pretty shocking. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. All right, here we go, friends. Is God judging America? And if not, why not? I mean, if he is, why? Well, here are a whole series of articles, and we're just going to go through them very, very quickly because we'll be able to catch the the general comprehension of these, and there is a reason we're bringing them all together today. First of all, Russia has just summoned the U.S. ambassador over our president's so-called unacceptable comments. What did Mr. Biden do? He broke the rule of America's, shall we say, multiculturalism, religious pluralism, and political correctness. He broke it absolutely by calling Vladimir Putin a war criminal. When he did that, he judged Vladimir Putin, didn't he? He judged him, and for that, the Kremlin has summoned the U.S. ambassador over such a comment. Hmm. Well, what if Vladimir Putin said the same thing to Joe Biden? Then what would you think? Just asking. Here's another one. Russia declares meta-extremist. Bans Facebook, Instagram, but allows WhatsApp. What's this about? This very day, a Moscow court labeled Meta Platforms, you know what that is? Facebook. They renamed it Meta. They renamed it, they labeled Facebook Meta Platforms an extremist organization. Hmm. I thought it was Facebook that was labeling Christians as extremists, that was labeling political conservatives in this country extremists, that was labeled anyone who opposed abortion as an extremist, that labeled anyone who opposed free access into the country 
from our beyond our borders as an extremist. But now Russia is labeling Facebook and Instagram and Meta's flat flagship platforms as extremist, and therefore they are banned in Russia. Interesting. That's judgment, friends. Russia is judging the West. Wow. We never would think of it that way, would we? Why would Russia be judging the West in that regard? Because the West is worthy of judgment. That doesn't mean Russia is not worthy of judgment. It doesn't mean that Russia or Vladimir Putin are uh, God's gift to humankind as the uh, image of righteousness and holiness. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that Russia and Vladimir Putin and Moscow see something very, very ungood, unrighteous in the West, and they're not going to tolerate it. They're not going to tolerate Facebook. They're not going to tolerate Instagram. They're not going to tolerate the meta-universe. No. Isn't that fascinating? Would to God to give to see us as well as others see us. Is America worthy of judgment? Apparently, Russia thinks so. Apparently, Russia thinks so. And Vladimir Putin, seven years ago, declared that Russia had become, in effect, the moral model for the world replacing America and the West because America and the West have become so decadent. Hmm. So if Russia can see that, what do you think God sees? Just asking, what do you think God sees? Now let's move away from Russia for a moment. A Nebraska church has apologized after putting up a sign about heaven and hell. Now, here's what the sign said. Hell has open borders. Heaven has restricted immigration laws. Heaven has restricted immigration laws. Hell has open borders. And when they put that sign up, all hell broke loose in Omaha, Nebraska. Why? Because it violated multiculturalism, religious pluralism, political correctness, and the Biden administration's willingness to allow free-flowing invasion of our own borders while detaining Ukrainians at our border and not letting them in unless they had the right paperwork. Does that not sound like massive hypocrisy to you? What is absolutely wrong in America that claims to be under God with a church saying heaven has strict immigration laws, hell has open borders? That's exactly what Jesus said. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and precious few there find it. But great, oh, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Do you see how intentionally deceived we are in this country? And the church didn't have the temerity, the gumption, the guts, the fortitude to keep their sign up. 
they capitulated because they didn't want anybody's feelings to be hurt. Friends, if you stand for truth, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. And if you don't stand for truth, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings, especially God's. But believe it or not, it is true. The Ukrainians were detained at our border despite Biden's promise to let them in. And when uh, Pisaki, the statement, uh, the the uh, president's spokesperson was asked about this, she says they hadn't filed the right paperwork. Now tell me, do you think these uh, thousands, the two million that have spilled in across our southern border during the Biden administration have presented right paperwork? No. He has a nefarious purpose and agenda for letting them in and welcoming them in to completely change both the political and racial and cultural expression of this country. That's what he's doing, purposely. But while claiming to help a people that who are on death's door coming from Ukraine, he wouldn't let them in because they didn't have the right paperwork. We're just starting. A county in Illinois is on the hook now for $370,000 in legal fees and other costs after officials there fired a nurse violating her freedoms when she declined to refer women for abortions. In Illinois, right there in America's heartland, the county's promotion of abortion violated the nurse's religious beliefs and conscience, but the county had no tolerance for her faith. Here's a woman who actually is standing for truth and righteousness in her faith, but America and Illinois is resisting it and seeking to compel her to do unrighteousness and to violate God's word, his will, and his ways. Yet she had worked as a pediatric nurse for 18 years prior to Illinois trying to force these nurses to refer women for abortion. And the story keeps going on. Now, as gasoline prices rise to record levels, the International Energy Agency is calling for energy lockdowns, banning the use of private cars in cities, especially on Sundays. What do you think this is about? Well, would you like to know what it's about? Here's what it's about. The next article Motoring Great Reset. Germany wants to ban the sale of gasoline-powered cars by 2035. So what will replace them? Electric cars. California this week just came out and told people with electric cars not to charge them up because the state had run out of power. But that's not all. When you have electric cars, now you're into exclusively the digital arena, which means 
that a global government established by 2030 will be able to control where you drive, if you drive, if you don't drive, because they'll immediately be able to cut off your ability for transportation with a uh, click of a switch, you'll be on digital power only. Is that righteousness? Is that really watching over the climate that God has created? Or is that seeking to control the people that God has created? Now, it's not just America. It's the whole Western, the whole Western world. 14,000 prayer pledges have been delivered to a politician on trial for being a Christian. Where? In Finland. The Western world. That nation determined it's a hate crime to follow the Bible's teachings on marriage and sexuality, which this woman, a politician, respected, upholds. The Bible's view on marriage and sex. So Finland now a Western nation inspired by America is bringing her to trial for her biblical stance on marriage and sexuality. Would God judge America? Would he judge the Western world, the resurrecting Roman Empire? The United Nations chief, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said, don't let Russia, the Russian crisis, fuel climate destruction. What's he saying? He's saying, we need to worship Mother Earth. That's the real problem here. The real problem is not whether you travel or not. It's not whether we're able to do the things that we're able to do, no, we have to get rid of all of those things in order to show our worshipful allegiance to Mother Earth. Forget about Father God that created those things for us to use. We must worship Mother Earth. So don't let this crisis interfere with climate control. Why? Because climate control is about people control. Do you think God is in favor of a Western world that is doing everything it can to bring every man, woman, and child under complete control of a global government, which is in total violation of what God said at the very beginning to Noah and his descendants? No. Do you think God might be interested and willing to judge the earth and the Western world for its utter and total stiff-necked rebellion against his authority. And as if that's not enough, friends, how about the New York Times telling us, pushing everybody to enjoy the cooking of insects so that you can truly worship Mother Earth? You can really believe in climate control. All you have to do is enjoy, begin to enjoy eating bugs. 
I'm not kidding you. I have it right in front of me. This is the perverseness of men's minds and hearts. Did God create the bugs primarily for our edibility? No. Can you possibly eat them in an emergency? Some of them, yes. Just watch out, by the way, for the new spider invasion that's supposed to be coming down very soon with three- to four-inch spiders. Yes, it's true. Three- to four-inch diameter, I mean, across diameter spiders. They say they're not dangerous, but they sure do look wicked. And now, one in five Generation Z adults in America claim to identify as LGBTQ. Does that not sound like this country has turned to absolute perversity? If Russia and Vladimir Putin can see it, don't you think that God can see it too? And what should we do about it? We'll talk about that when we get back. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Do you think we might have been seduced? Do you think we might have been seduced in America and in the Western world, all of which claims to be Christian America and Christian Europe? Oh, my friends, seduced is putting it mildly. If vengeance belongs to God, which he says it does, what do you think would be the consequences that we would face in America and the Western world? that's uniting as NATO in ways that heretofore, before the Russian-Ukrainian war, it could never do. Couldn't bring it about, but now it is. What do you think God would do there? Is it possible that what's happening right now in our world is actually a form of judgment? We don't like to think about it that way, do we? In fact, we don't want to think about judgment at all. We don't even want to think about the fear of the Lord, because we don't like that God. So, as Time Magazine said on April 5th, 1993, we're making God in our own image in America. That was their cover story. Americans are flooding back to church. Church will never again be the same, because Americans are looking for a custom-made God, one made in their own image. Well, there are three different kinds of judgment. There's corrective discipline, like a parent, we can understand this, begins gradually, and then you ramp it up if the child continues to be disobedient. But then there comes a point in time when the ramp up has to get more severe. 
We might call that remedial judgment. Now, beyond remedial judgment is final judgment. And we're going to take a look at the difference between these two. Remedial judgment is very much like what happened when Israel refused to keep the Sabbath and refused also to keep the seven-year Sabbath with their land. So God says, okay, I've been warning you about this. I've sent forth the prophets to warn you about this. You're refusing to do my will. Therefore, I'm going to give you 70 years for those Sabbaths in bondage in Babylon. So he raised up a king, an ungodly king called Nebuchadnezzar, to do the job. He was an ungodly king. And God raised up Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest power at that time, king of Babylon, to not just once, but at least twice, if not three times, bring judgment on Judah and Jerusalem until finally he destroyed the temple and took the rest of them captive to Babylon for 70 years. That was remedial judgment. That wasn't final judgment, because God said, after that, I'm going to bring you back. So he allowed them to come back, and he even facilitated their rebuilding of the temple through the Persian king, Cyrus. So see, God can use secular leaders to accomplish both his judgment and also facilitate his blessing. But then, you have the ten northern tribes, Israel. Not Judah in the south, Israel in the north. They had separated from the overall united kingdom that had brought together under David and Solomon. And now, they went their own way. They built their own temple. They worshipped golden images. And they abandoned, they worshipped Baal. They abandoned the God of their fathers. And God said he warned them over and over and over again, raising up prophets early and warning them, and they refused to heed. So he said, okay, enough. I've given you some remedial, from corrective discipline, I've given you remedial judgment, and now I'm going to wipe you out. So what did he do? He raised up Assyria, a wicked country, and a mighty king to come in and destroy the ten northern tribes and take them captive, and those that they he didn't take captive, he dispersed throughout the earth. You know whatever happened to the ten tribes of Israel? They're called the lost tribes today. Why is that? Because they experienced a final judgment because of their wickedness and rebellion. Those were the people that God called the apple of his eye. And if God would judge them, why wouldn't he judge America? Why wouldn't he judge the Western world, Europe, and so on? An article came out just uh, Today, actually, the fatal conceit of the American church. The church 
Christian Church in America has spent the bulk of its time and treasure evangelizing the rest of the world while it ignored America. America, our own nation, was not viewed by most churches as, as a mission field. In view of our own nation's current condition, perhaps it would have been made more sense to send missionaries to Washington, D.C., or other major U.S. cities, along with the 50 state capitals, to accomplish Jesus' directive to make disciples to obey him in all nations. A nation that had been discipled in accordance with Jesus' teachings would not have elected corruptocrats to rule over it, would not have built abortion temples where children were sacrificed to the gods of modern convenience, would not have embraced sexual confusion, and would not have removed Christian history from its schools. Rather, a nation that had been discipled would have taught creation, not evolutionary fantasy. And you don't make disciples of nations by ignoring the education of your own kids. It's not only our schools that have ignored Christian education, it's our churches and parents as well. Now, with that having been said, I want to remind you of something we talked about uh, a month or two ago. In 1996, the Lord spoke to my heart three years after we formed Save America Ministries. And after a week of prayer and fasting on Pikes, uh, the northern slopes of Pikes Peak in uh, Colorado, I began to write an open letter to the church in America. But by the time that was through, it turned out not to be an open letter, but a lawsuit. Jehovah God, the Lord of Nations versus the spiritual leaders of America, a.k.a. pastors, parachurch leaders, broadcasters, publishers, and so on, uh, as defendants. It was set forth in five legal causes of action, 28 pages, and it was accompanied by legal points and authorities from God's viewpoint to justify the lawsuit from the book of Jeremiah. That lawsuit is on our website. I urge you to take a look at it. That lawsuit was served on 300 of the most prominent Christian leaders in the land, people whose names were common in our homes, revered, but they were part of the problem. They were set to gather for Fasting and Prayer 96 in St. Louis. And so the lawsuit went out and was served upon them, both in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., at a National Solemn Assembly there, and then also uh, by FedEx or uh, Express Mail all across the land upon those who were going to go to Fasting and Prayer 96. When Nancy Lay DeMoss received that, and I had never met her, she called me, and she says, Mr. Chris Meyer, what you did not know is that I have been scheduled to be the keynote speaker at Fasting and Prayer 96. And when I received that lawsuit, it so quickened my heart and my mind, because it spoke put in words what I felt God had already put on my heart to deliver to that assembly of 4,000 people. And so she translated that lawsuit, distilled it into her message, her keynote message called, Begin at My Sanctuary. 
a call to repentance in the church. Now, bear in mind, this was in 1996, friends. That's a fur piece back. 26 years ago. She said we would all be quick to agree about the need for repentance outside these walls, but are we as quick to recognize our own need for repentance here in America? We can readily identify the sins of the White House, but have we become blind to the corruption in our own Christian house? We decry the sin in our world, but have we not tolerated virtually all the same sins in the church? Today, she said, we face a danger of feeling that the problem is somewhere out there, in Washington, San Francisco, or Hollywood, or on our college campuses, or among nominal church members. But she says, as we read the scripture, we see that the sternest words of reproof were issued not to the pagan world, but to the people of God. So the prophet Isaiah called out, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they've rebelled against me. They've forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. They're gone away backward. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint, even from the sole of the foot, even to the head. There is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. How the faithful city or nation has become a harlot. Does that not sound overly familiar to our condition in this country, my friends? Why might God be willing to judge America? And is he already doing so? Has he already been doing so for the past generation? And we didn't recognize it. Has he been giving us some corrective discipline that we refused to heed and said, no, that's for them? Has he been giving us some remedial judgments, whether it's in the form of our weather patterns, whether it's in form of economics or other different things, and we refuse to heed that? Are we now on the edge of a more permanent kind of judgment? Is that perhaps what is brewing right now in our world? When Zelensky cries out today, if we don't get this matter resolved in this next meeting, it's World War III. Are you listening yet? We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. The prophet Ezekiel claiming the words of God 
when God was upset with his people there in Judah, Judea, Jerusalem, the temple, God said, look, don't begin with those pagans out there. Begin at my sanctuary for judgment. We don't believe that anymore. We don't really believe the Bible anymore, not much. We only believe the things that we want to believe, but we don't believe the full and complete character of God. We don't realize that he is God. No, we're building a reframing a God in our own image. So Nancy Le DeMoss goes on in her address, taking that lawsuit and translating into her uh, female words for that keynote address, Fasting and Prayer 1996 in St. Louis, 4,000 Christians gathered. She says, throughout the Old Testament, the father, husband, heart of God, grieved over the waywardness of his chosen people. Time after time, he begged them to repent. And when they refused, the hound of heaven pursued their stubborn sinning, hearts with painful discipline. In the New Testament, we hear Jesus' indictment against the spiritual leaders of his day, men who were renowned for their much prayer and fasting. But he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Then, after Jesus ascended back to the Father, he gave a message through John in the book of Revelation to the first of the seven churches of Asia. He said, you've committed a spiritual adultery. You've left your first love, so repent. To another, you have reputation for being alive, but you're really dead. Repent. To the comfortable and complacent church at Laodicea, he said, you don't think you have any needs, but the fact is you are wretched, naked, miserable, blind, and poor. Repent. And still, at this very moment, Jesus pleads with all of us, be zealous and repent, or else I will come and remove your light from its place. Over and over again, Nancy said, I have been gripped by the account of Ezekiel 8 and 9, where God takes his servant on a vision to the temple in Jerusalem. No less than ten times in the eighth chapter, God says to Ezekiel, look, do you see what's going on there? Look at those detestable things taking place right in the middle of my temple. She said, I've been asking God to help me see what he sees when his all-knowing eyes examine the church in America. And the picture is not pretty. The truth is painful to admit, but we have to get honest. We have every hope to get God's attention, if we ever have hope to get God's attention. The truth is, she said, we have not only flirted, but actually fornicated with the world. When it comes to how we live, how we think, how we look, how we sound, how we do ministry, we become virtually indistinguishable from the rest of the world outside the church. We bought into the world's philosophy and practices. Thus, the church and ministry has become big business. We're more familiar with management and marketing principles, whether the principles of humility, purity, faith, and prayer. Pastors and Christian leaders have become CEOs rather than spiritual shepherds. We have used nearly every worldly method conceivable to attract the lost. We built our ministries on pragmatism, whatever works, without stopping to evaluate if the means we're using are in accordance with the ways of the Word of God. 
And in an effort to convince the world that Christianity is fun, we have entertained and amused ourselves to death. Why do Christian celebrities and comedians perform to sell out crowds while scarcely a few attend prayer meetings? Why do we feel we can reach people today? We can't reach people today without rock and roll, hip talk, and worldly dress. Whatever happened to the power of God? We become dependent on methods, techniques, strategies, and programs rather than prayer of the Holy Spirit, she said. Have we lost confidence in the power of the word to convict the gospel, to convert the spirit, to draw men to Christ? We care more about public relations, how our constituents view us, than how God views us. We're more concerned about our reputation than his. In our seeker-driven mindset, we're more worried about offending visitors than offending God. We're more concerned about people feeling good than about their being right. We want people to leave feeling good about church, about us, about themselves, never mind that they have grossly offended a holy God and are under his condemnation and wrath. We are so afraid of seeming intolerant or unloving that we tiptoe around crucial issues of the word of God. Our cowardice in standing with God on such matters as divorce and remarriage has made us accessories to the carnage of millions of Christian families. In fact, we have placed ourselves in the precarious position of justifying and defending what God says he hates. Today, anyone who dares to call sin by name or to point out doctrinal errors like to be branded as divisive, unloving, or legalistic. In an effort to make Christianity palatable to our soft, self-centered generation, we preach a diluted message that sidesteps the issue of sin, eliminates the the demands of the cross, and overlooks the need for conviction and repentance. In an effort to make our message relevant, we've ended up preaching another gospel, No gospel at all, really. We preach Christianity as a way to find fulfillment rather than a calling to take up the cross and follow Jesus. We're more concerned about additions and statistics than actual converts and the quality of those converts. Inside the church, in far more ways than we care to admit, we have failed to live by the scriptures. We are in a community of the forgiven who refuse to forgive. In our homes, among church and ministry staff, and in the pew. We brush known sin under the carpet. The bride has forgotten how to blush. We sin without shame. We have lost our ability to mourn and grieve and weep over sin. Even our language betrays our theology of irresponsibility. We speak of leaders falling into sin rather than acknowledging that these men and women have chosen a pathway of compromise and gratifying the lust of the flesh. Our women, Christian women, have tossed aside such outmoded notions as virtue, modesty, femininity, and submission and exchange it for a controlling and demanding spirit. In our casual brand of Christianity, there's little sense of the fear of the Lord. How else could millions of churchgoers sit under the preaching of the word week after week and leave unchanged and unmoved? 
How else could such so-called believers who claim to believe in holiness sit in their living rooms or hotel rooms watching TV and laughing at ungodly jokes, lifestyles, and philosophies? When is the last time you saw God's people tremble at the word of the Lord? When is the last time we trembled at the word of the Lord? And on Nancy DeMoss goes. She then asks toward the end, Where are the Jeremiah's whose hearts are in anguish, whose eyes overflow with tears for the desolation of God's people? Where are the prophets who are willing to risk their reputation, their retirement funds, and their acceptance within the Christian community in order to say what needs to be said to our generation? Where are the men who are sounding the alarm to waken the church out of her sleep and lethargy? Is not God's word like a fire, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Then where is the conviction, the preaching with conviction, confrontation, divine fire, and the Holy Spirit anointing? Where is the sense of urgency, the solemnity, when we talk to men about eternity and the condition of their souls? Where is the intensity and terror when we speak of the judgment and the wrath of God to come? So Nancy concludes, If our hearts are not broken over what breaks the heart of God, if we are not part of the remnant that sighs and laments and groans within over the detestable things that are going on in the temple of God in our own houses, then we are part of the multitude that is in danger of his chastisement and a desperate need of repentance before judgment falls. It's time for us to humble ourselves. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. So, as the Holy Spirit brings conviction to our hearts, let's all humble ourselves, confess our wicked ways, plead with God for mercy and forgiveness, let us search our and try our ways, and turn with him with all our hearts, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Is God judging America? Has he been judging America? Has he been giving, shall we say, a parental kind of preliminary correction and discipline which we have rejected over and over again and intensified that into remedial judgments through economics, through wars in our streets? through the butchering of our babies, 65 million of them since 1963, 1973 rather, and on and on it goes. Have we resisted the Holy Spirit of God? Have we been deceived? Have we been seduced by the way of the Lord, uh, by the way of the world? Now perhaps, we can better understand why Jesus said to his disciples just a day or two before his crucifixion there on the Mount of Olives, the most important thing that he had on his mind was take heed that no man deceive you. He also then said there are going to be many come even in my name and will deceive many. And then finally he upped the ante and said, 
Fellas, I'm so sorry to have to tell you the truth. But the deception and seduction is going to be so great that if it were possible, even the very small remnant elite or uh, elect would be deceived. Now perhaps you can understand why the Lord moved upon my heart a few years ago to write the book Seduction of the Saints. How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. It covers a whole range of areas, ways in which we are seduced. As one person who had read the book several times told me, he said, as far as I'm concerned, this is the most important book I have other than my Bible. I said, why is that? He said, because you make the Bible's message so practical. You just can't miss it. I urge you to get a copy. It's written for such a time as this. Seduction of the saints. Notice it doesn't say the seduction of the pagans. It says seduction of the saints. How to stay pure in a world of deception. It's an $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. I urge you to get a copy of it. Maybe get a copy for a friend or a relative. Maybe get a copy for each member of your family and use it to go through in your family devotion time. I tell you, you will have no end of things to talk about, things that you never dreamed of. And the Word of God will come alive for your family or your church, my friend, or your Sunday school class. And every chapter is followed by probing questions for these troubled times. Seduction of the Saints. How to stay pure in a world of deception. Again, on the website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. And please seriously consider becoming a partner friends do you not sense that the 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 need the urgency for this message is upping the ante is upping for our time then help us to get the message out you may not be able to be on the air yourself but you can help get the message out with your gifts telling other people about it emailing them telephoning them let's get the message out Let's be a team for the kingdom of God for such a time as this. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.